now called the Gwinnett Church of Christ, and we had a group of youth, your age, we had like nine or ten group, and every time we would sing this song, they would do exactly what these guys were doing, <laughs> every single time, and, and, and you know, being in Atlanta, you can get away with adding a little extra southern dialect with that song, and I mean, we would lay it on thick, oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you, and it was good, Jim, you can probably relate, because you lived in Atlanta, you know how we talk back there, and I know the Meads can. Yeah, yeah, and Dorothy, yeah, for sure. So if you've never been to the South and you want to hear that song sung properly, go sometime and ask them to sing this song. Because it is amazing when you get a bunch of, I started to say redneck Southern folk, but I'll just say people from Alabama or somebody singing that song. It's pretty neat. <clears throat> Thank you guys for being here. And, and Skeeter, if you think that's what they get with the budget with you leading singing, well, they hear my preaching. That's all I got to say about that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a team effort always. It always is here. It's a team effort. We're excited you're here. Yes, we've had some challenges. Isn't it great? And the church said, amen. Yes. And all things rejoice. Yes. I think Paul wrote that, and I think that's scriptural. Yes. And all things rejoice. I got I to gotta hand it to the two facilitators and teachers of our classes this morning. I don't know if they meant to do it. I don't know if it was a coordinated effort on the part of Javon and the part of Ray. But both of the conversations going on in our adult Bible classes this morning, specifically in some way, had something to do with the fact that we needed to be in prayer and fasting over all the wonderful things we get to experience in Christ right now. Isn't that cool? If there's anything more biblical, I don't know what is. But prayer and fasting are certainly a part of who we should be as believers. And yes, there are times when there are troubles and there are challenges and there are things that are difficult to, to kind of see your way through that it causes us to, to spend time in prayer and fasting. There are also good things that happen through the, which we should also be in prayer and fasting. So don't allow just the hard times to lead you to that time of prayer and fasting. Allow the good times as well. So I want, us, uh, I, want, I want us to be in prayer for that, and I want us to truly be in prayer and fasting for these things that are happening. Yes, we're in conversation with a couple of guys, and yes, those conversations will go on, and maybe they'll work out positively, and maybe it won't work out positively. And the church said, amen, regardless, because that's what the church should always say, amen. We rejoice in the Lord in all things, and again, I say, rejoice. And so we will rejoice. And when we come here on Sunday mornings to celebrate and to sing and to have communion, as Ray so, so positively shared with us this morning, there's a reason for us being here together. And that reason is not to be down about we don't have a preacher, we don't have a youth minister, we don't have another this, or we don't have another that. But we are here because we love the Lord. 
and we're here to praise the Lord, and we're here to sing praises to him and encourage one another in psalm, hymn, and spiritual songs, to sing and pray and to share in that communion, to remind us all again that someday, someday, even if we're at sea and the power goes out and we get to pass away at sea, we'll be the first to rise. It's an inside joke if you weren't in the adult class. But I want you to know that we are all God's children and we are here. So this morning, I want to spend a few minutes with you talking about discipleship. And my question is, who cares? Who cares? It's fair enough. I think that's a reasonable question. By the way, Ray, my wife did the math. 5,000 divided by 4 equals 1250. Now I'm going to adjust the numbers. I know you were dealing with preacher's numbers, but the real number is like 165. That's a low number. That's $7.57 per person per week. That's less than two lattes. You don't drink lattes? Well, what do you drink? Water. That's less than two bottles of water if they're the smart bottles. Okay? All right. Hey, if you up that to $10, we can get real there. You could. <laughs> you could. Speaking of rails up here, we want to engage more of the men in the congregation to do things up here on this podium, so be prepared for that. We'll chat about that some more in the days to come, but we're going to get a lot more of you men up here doing some things so that it's not just two people. Ken DeBose shared a link with me this week of a gentleman some of you are familiar with. His name is Francis Chan. Um, he's not a member of the Churches of Christ preacher, but Francis does some pretty cool things in ministry in his world. And he, he started a church in Simi Valley that ended up being several thousand people in membership, and then he walked away from that. And there's a wonderful, wonderful uh, little uh, thing on YouTube, and it's kind of his explanation of why he walked away. And, and at the end of the day, he said this, you know, God has given every single person in this church a spiritual gift. We talked about that the last few weeks, right? He's given all of his spiritual gifts. But the interesting thing about a Sunday morning service is generally there are only two or three people who get to use their gift. And that's the sad part of an assembly like this. And so as we continue in this conversation about discipleship and where our spiritual gifts fit in, the reality is all of us need to be using our spiritual gifts on a regular basis. Amen, big time. And it doesn't happen always in this building. It happens outside this building. Now, some of it can happen in this building, but there are enormous opportunities all around us on a day-to-day -day basis where you and I can be using the gift that God has given us. And we're going to spend a lot more time over the next several weeks talking about that, especially as it relates to discipleship and especially as it relates to who cares. Discipleship has some very specific meanings can't hardly see the type, sorry about that, but let me just share this with you. Discipleship is a noun, and it's someone who adheres to the teachings of another. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I like his teachings, and I try to adhere to them. And all of us who are in this room, who are believers in Christ, and have given ourselves over to him as, as what you and I call baptized believers, that should be our goal, is to give ourselves to, the fo to following his teachings. It's a follower, it's a learner, it refers to someone who takes up the waves of someone else. Occasionally, not often, but occasionally, Lynn and I watch a little TV program because we don't have cable on the boat, so we only get free channels, which is really better than cables because there's a lot of junk on cable that I don't have to worry about passing through. But one of the shows that we watch occasionally is the show that Steve Harvey hosts where he's the, the host of the thing where the two families are kind of competing. Family Feud, that's the name of it? Thank you, because I couldn't remember, thanks. So we're watching that the other day, and one of the questions on Family Feud, on a scale of 1 to 10, 
What do you think most people say they want their child to be exactly like them on a scale of 1 to 10? Where would you place yourself? If you're thinking about your children, do you want your children to be exactly like you on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not like me at all, 10 being exactly like me? Well, let me ask you this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, when it comes to being like Jesus, how much would you like to be like Jesus? 1, not very, or 10, absolutely whole? 10. 10. So if you really want to be like Jesus, and if 10 is your answer, maybe 10 plus, because 120%, you know, or whatever. But, but let me ask you this question. If you really want to be like Jesus, if you really want to be his disciple, if you really want to be a learner of him, a follower of him, someone who conforms to his words and the ways of Jesus, how much time are you spending with him? Because I'm going to wager that if you're not spending much time with him, it's difficult for you to be like him. If you don't know what someone is like, it's hard to be like them. If you don't know how someone would react to a situation, it's difficult for me or you to react in the same way if we want to react to a situation the way that that individual does. And we all have had mentors in our lives. We've all had coaches. We've all had people who've had a, a very positive impact on our lives. And we watch them and we look at them and we're like, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want to be like them in the world of business or sports or whatever. I want to be like that. And we study them and we watch them and we follow them. And sometimes those people have tremendous followings in the world and people spend enormous amounts of time, energy, and, and lots of money to go to different events or things or clinics that they put on to become more like them. And my question for you is, how much are you willing to invest in your life to be like Jesus? In the world of business, especially in the world of business sales and things like that, People spend literally tens of thousands of dollars over their career going to seminars to learn how to manage their time or to how to be a better salesperson or how to close a sale better or maybe to how to improve their attitude or their mind and how to think better about what they do. Would you be willing to invest tens of thousands of dollars to learn more about how to be like Jesus? Tony Robbins, one of the, the inspiration gurus that's been around for the last 25 or 30 years, if he were going to be doing a seminar at Anaheim at the convention center there, and the cost was $187, there are a lot of people who would not think twice about paying $187 bucks to see that guy talk. Would you spend $187 to spend any time to learn about Jesus? Who cares? I caught this picture of the boat getting my PowerPoint. This boat belonged to a friend of mine. His name was Johnny. He wasn't a friend when I first met him. Have you ever noticed that when you first meet people, they aren't your friends? <laughs> They're acquaintances. When I first met the guy that owned this boat, he, uh, he had three boats in my slip at the marina. I'd rented a slip because I had a little 45-foot houseboat I was working on, and it was out on the, in the repair yard, out of the water, and, and Johnny saw that there was open vacancy, and so he decided to put three of his own boats in my little slip because he was working on them. So he and I became acquainted through that experience. Over time, we became pretty good friends. When I first met Johnny, though, understand, he was the gentleman who was, he, what, what do they call Navy SEALs before they were SEALs? See what? Frogmen, seamen? He was one of those. He was one, true story, he was one of those guys that was left at the Bay of Pigs. 
because it didn't go so well for us. And we pulled out quick, and he had to find his way home. Long story short, they classified him as deceased. It was easier. I met Johnny when I met him one afternoon at the marina when he's working on a couple of his boats. He and I became acquainted. We talked a lot. We had coffee. He said, anytime you want to stop by, come by. I always have coffee. So I did. And I sat on the front of that boat with him many times when we had coffee. And when I first met him, he was virtually an agnostic. He could care less if there was a God or not because he had been through so much, had seen so much, had experienced so much, had not had very good experience with God or anyone that talked about God. He could care less if there was a God. But over time, in conversation, in relationships and friendships as they grow, we were sitting on the front of his boat just a couple of days after the first, after the first theater of action in the Middle East when George Bush Sr. sent our young men and women in there to fight against those forces. We were sitting on the front of his boat, and he asked me this question, and I'll never forget it. He said, Ed, why don't those people over there believe the same Bible you and I believe? And I knew when he said that, that he was closer to God than he had been in a long time. Time passed. He was with this lady, Maria, whom I had the privilege of performing their wedding ceremony on the back of his boat one evening. As time passed some more, I had the opportunity to baptize Johnny. As many years passed, and I lived here in California, I received a phone call one day from his wife, Maria, and she said, Eddie Johnny died last night. He was driving to the store, he had a heart attack, he ran off the road, and they found him. Who cares? Discipleship means being a servant. It means being someone who's willing to give your time and your energy and your life to the service of someone else. Mark chapter 10 says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I've shared this with you before, and I'll share it with you again. And if I get to preach a few more Sundays, I'll probably ask you this question again. But why did you come here? Why do you come to this place on this day every week to spend time here? And if you've, came, if you've come to this place just to get something from this experience, you've come for the wrong reason. Because our lives should be one of service. Even when we come here, it should be a life of service. When we leave this building, when we leave here and go to the restaurants around this, this location, or when we go back to our homes, and when we go to work, and when we go to school, and when we go to the golf course this week, whatever it is that you do, there should be an essence and a spirit about us that is always constantly looking for ways in which we can serve others because that truly is what a disciple is. But who cares? Fred Craddock was a, a preacher's preacher, if you will. Some of you may have heard of Fred. Some of you have never heard of him in your life. But Fred Craddock started preaching at a little church of Christ in Hohenwald, Tennessee. And if you don't know where that's at, it's not very far from Fried Hardeman University. And he preached for years there. He went on to study to be a great teacher of preachers. And he taught in seminaries all over North America. But Fred used to tell this story about a lady in a little church in Missouri. He'd gone there to preach a revival. Some, you, you guys know what that is, right? 
He went there to preach a little revival, and he was there for several days, and, and he walks in on Sunday morning, and it's one of the old country churches in Missouri. It's, it's the shotgun church where you walk in the front of the building, and you're in the auditorium, and on each side of the building, there's a little classroom, and those classrooms serve as double duty because they serve as a changing room for the baptistry because the only thing in the building is the auditorium and two little classrooms on each side and a baptistry that meets them in the middle. And he got there early and he was messing around and he went and they had the Bible class first and he went to the back of one of the, um, one of the classrooms and he was going to go back there and just spend some quiet time before the service. And he saw this lady, not exactly her, but he saw this woman who was there and she was kind of stuffing her things in the, in, in the bag that she took all of her Bible class stuff in and she's like, I'm done. He said, what do you mean you're done? She said, I'm done. She said, I've been teaching this class for 40-something years, and I just don't think anybody cares about anything that I do in here anymore. She said, I'm finished. I'm done. And he says, you know, he said, I understand where you're coming from. I feel that way sometimes, too. He said, what I would encourage you to do is just go home and take a couple of aspirin and think about it a few days, and, and you'll get over it. She's like, no, I'm done. And they have a little conversation. The service goes on, and, and, and he decides that he's going to preach the sermon, and then he's got to go for lunch. He's going to see some people, and he kind of, kind of doesn't talk to her anymore. Who cares? Who cares? Jesus said, John 13, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The Son of God the servant of all, washes the disciples' feet. Any of you ever been in a service where they did a foot washing? I mean, seriously, did that? Yeah, it was a youth activity, right? Youth rally, yeah. It's the only place we have the nerve to do that. And I'm being facetious, but I'm not being facetious. Why is it that the children can teach us the greatest of lessons sometimes? And, and I get it that it was the time and place in the world where people didn't have closed-toed shoes like we do, and they didn't wear socks like we had. They had open sandals, and guess what? When you walk through the dirt and the scum and the dirt and all of the stuff that was in the streets around those little communities back there, you would want to wash your feet. I understand that. And Jesus didn't say this so that it would be a commandment of worship, so every Sunday when we come together we would have foot washings. But there's a lesson here. Being a disciple means that you're willing to humble yourself and pick up a towel and wash someone else's feet. There are a lot of opportunities to serve. When Lynn and I lived in Atlanta, I had the privilege of serving as the the kind of the, one of the lead individuals for what we call the People Helping People Ministries. It was our benevolence ministry. And I would remind you again, these envelopes are on the, on the pew in front of you, and they're there for a specific reason, and that is for you to place money in here to fund our benevolence ministry at, that, at this church. It's what we did in Houston, and it works amazingly well, and that money will be specifically used for benevolence activities. So one Wednesday evening, I'm at the church, because we had a meal there, like we do on Thursday nights here. I was at the church at Bamel, and this couple came in, and they were absolutely devastated because they were on the verge of being evicted from their motel room. 
He'd not been out of jail very long. He'd been in jail for a couple of years. He was having enormous challenges and difficulties trying to find a job because, in case you didn't know this, anyone with two or three felonies has trouble finding a job with anyone. No one is willing to take a chance on a felon. He's struggling. He has no work. He has no way to find work. Hardly he's given up almost on life. His wife, of some number of years, who stood by him while he was in jail for those several years, has come and she is in tears and she's just crying and crying and crying because the money that she earns is not enough to cover the hotel and they're living there and they have two dogs and their dogs are their life, their dogs are their kids and they're scared to death that the next place that they have to go is not going to let them keep the dogs and they don't know what to do and they're not members of the church at Bamble. And the policy of the church at Bamel was if you're not a member of the Church of Christ at Bamel and you come to us and you want some money, we have this whole process that you have to go through, all of these papers to complete and fill out, and you have to basically show us all the reasons as to why we should or shouldn't be able to assist you financially. If you contact the family, friends, blah, blah, blah. And we do the same thing here with the same papers because I brought those papers with me and we do the exact same thing. But at the end of the day, at the end of that conversation, I said, how much money do you need to stay in the hotel for another week? And I went with them after the service was over and I paid the bill. And they came back next Wednesday to eat. And they were in a better spirit and in a better way and in a better mood. And they were happy. Not only because the hotel bill had been paid, but John had been able to find a job. He was now a dishwasher at a Chinese restaurant. And I can relate to that because that was the first job that I ever had when I was in high school. That's where I learned to eat rice. <laughs> they stayed with us at that church, and that wasn't the first and only time we had to help them. There were other times, but now they're both members of the Lord's kingdom because we opened our heart to them. And we help them in a very small way to us, but in an enormous way to them. And they still have their dogs. And I'm very happy to tell you today, they have a beautiful little girl who's about three years old. Who cares? On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Church, I want you to understand that the people who were in that room were not just the apostles whom Jesus instructed to go into all the world. When Jesus stood on the side of that hillside or mountain and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, it wasn't just the apostles to whom he was speaking. He was speaking to us all and he's sending us all and he's sending us with an amazing gift of the spirit that he's called us to use to be his disciples. Who cares? Oh, this, this lady, Fred went back to her. 
the next evening after the service was over, he went by to stop and have coffee with her. And they were talking. And the lady said, Fred, nobody cares that I have been teaching this class for 40-something years. He said, sure they care. He said, all of, he said, half of these people that go to this church have come through your Bible class over the years, and they still go to church with you, and they love you. She said, yeah, but Fred, nobody cares. He said, yes, they do. He said, I know they do. He said, this church wouldn't be here if it weren't for people like you. And she said, no, nobody cares. He said, yes, I believe they do. She said, no, they don't. He said, yes, they do. She said, no, they don't. He said, I know that they do. She said, really, you think they care? He said, yes, I know they care. He said, good, give me their names. Who cares? My question for you. Could I give that lady your name? If that lady was a part of our church and I had that kind of conversation with her, could I give her your name? Do you care? There are hundreds and hundreds of people in Santa Rosa who don't have a house today. There are a handful of folks right here in our own county who don't have a house today. There are people all around you whose hearts are breaking because something in their life is falling absolutely to pieces. And they just need somebody who cares. Do you care? Can I give them your name? We're going to sing the song, Jesus Cares. I know it's not one that we've sung here often. As a matter of fact, Alicia told me she's never printed these PowerPoint slides. So I don't know if you know the song or not, but I do. So leave my mic on. And I'll help Skeeter as we sing this song. And Skeeter and I will sing a duet, if we have to. But I want you to listen carefully to the words of this song because they invite us to think and consider the fact that Jesus cares about all of our trials. And if he cares about us, how much can we care for those who are around us? Could I give them your name? Let's stand and sing this song together. Let me invite you. Does Jesus care when my heart is pain to Jesus?